0: Welcome to the Informed Simplicity Podcast. I'm Dr. Jordan Harris here with Dr. Julia Conroy. This is our Polyvagal Series. In this series, taking a shared journey to learn more about how stress impacts our bodies from a polyvagal perspective. If you're a therapist or counselor, you can earn CEs by listening. Check the description to learn how you can listen and earn At the beginning of each episode, we like to review the basics of polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory tells us that our bodies have three ways of responding, all depending on how safe or threatened we feel. First, when we we feel safe or only a little challenged, our bodies are designed to seek connection. This is when our bodies are primed for growth and physical healing but sometimes we face outright challenges. When this happens, our heart rate and breathing speed up and we go into our second response, fight or flight. This is when our bodies are primed for movement. This is also when we are prone to irritation and anxiety. And if we're facing what feels like a life-threatening situation, our heart rate and breathing slow way down and we use our third response, freezing. There are different types of freezing. Some of the types of freezing are things like going numb, fainting, feeling depressed, or having chronic fatigue and lethargy. However, our bodies respond to challenges and threats. The important thing to remember is all of these systems are working together to maximize protection for our most vulnerable systems. In short, Our bodies are designed to keep us safe. To understand the relationship between these three responses and our physical and mental health, we're looking at the extensive research on how stress impacts our bodies. Our main text for this is Robert Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Talking about the GI system the gastrointestinal tract um which I don't know have you studied a lot of this stuff I know you've you know Dr. Conroy you've done a lot of like the body but have you gone in depth (laughs) on this system
1: it's why I went into counseling (laughs) because I love the GI system absolutely no a lot of this is new for me um just in reading through it of course we like hear the terms we know people that maybe struggle with IBS. We kind of have like a general understanding from like ninth grade biology, maybe. Um, But a lot of this was new for me and specifically how it pertains um, to the stress response. Um, I think we know generally uh, stress isn't great um, for digestion that the two aren't compatible. Um, But in this chapter, it feels like we really get into the, the specifics of why that is and the impact that it has.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So I'm going to break this down and you can sort of uh, jump in here because first off, I don't even know what that meant, right? Like the GI tract, like what is that? Mm-hmm. And basically, it's the pathway from like, you know, your mouth all the way to the other end, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's your esophagus, it's your stomach, it's your small mm-hmm. intestines and your large intestines, right? So it's like basically, you know, the path that food takes in and out
1: mm-hmm. of you. Right. Uh,
0: yes. And you mentioned something last week that I don't think I fully got until I read this week's chapter. Cause we were talking about metabolism mm-hmm. and how much, and you mentioned that for our bodies to break down food and store, it takes a lot of energy.
1: Yeah.
0: And when we got into this chapter, supposedly talks about how after food enters the stomach, your stomach does so much to break down food, right? Your stomach that only has these digestive enzymes that break down food, but it also, you know, shoots food around inside of you, right? Like <laughs> one side contracts to, you know, basically push food to the other side. So it's also um, moving food around in order to, to break it down. Okay. And then it moves into your um, small intestines, which contracts constantly to to push it through Mm -hmm. and then it goes into your large intestines and it keeps, and it's just like, there's a lot of mechanical movement (laughs) that happens. Yeah, And he ends up saying like, what, 10 to 20% of your body's energy is just food digestion. I was like, what in
1: the world? Yeah, well, when you think about it, right, it's just outrageous all that goes into it. And like the science that goes into, okay, like I had oatmeal for breakfast this morning that oatmeal, my body somehow knows how to take in, right, and and take in through my body and then convert it into energy, right? Even if we think about the ways that we try to do that through electricity, through wind energy, like all these things, that's incredibly complex, right? And just because our bodies are doing it day in and day out, I think it's easy to miss the beauty um, of that, of of the incredible feat that our bodies do multiple times a day to take what we're eating, break it down in a way, dissolve it in a way to preserve some energy, right? And also eliminate the waste that it has. It's incredible.
0: It's an incredible process. I think for me, to add to your point, it's also crazy because I don't feel like it's happening, right? Like when, when I eat a bowl of oatmeal (laughs) I don't feel like my stomach is shooting around in different directions like (laughs) it's being very active Mm -hmm. and so I was like yeah there's this wondrous machine working right under the surface that I don't even know about you know so yeah it's kind of just like
1: you said because it, it ties in from um from the moment food enters our body to the moment it leaves it, that's a lot of systems, yeah. right? That's a lot of work that has to be put in, um, which means it's an incredibly complex, finely tuned system. So when there's stress, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities, right, for that system to be interrupted.
0: Yes. Um, and for
1: that system to experience some sort of malfunction Um, and because of that understanding that the complexity of it like Sapolsky lays out for us kind of helps us appreciate the impact that stress has.
0: Yeah and you know one of the first complexities that he sort of addresses is this fact that when you're stressed your Mm -hmm. body shuts down digestion, Mm -hmm. diverse energy to other parts of you Mm -hmm. and so a part of that process is hunger also stops you, you don't get hungry but sometimes you do <laughs> and yeah. so it's like what
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. it's like a confusing process and I think I always thought it was like oh no I'm like one of the ones that does eat when I'm stressed <laughs> um I thought it was like a personality um you know trait that you were like lumped into but he gets a lot more detailed in there to kind of help us understand the difference in those responses so that we can kind of make sense of what our body's doing there.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So this kind of goes back to, um, you know, his focus less on the vagus nerve and more on hormones, right? And basically what he says is when you are stressed, one of the first hormones that your body releases is this hormone called CHR. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, CRH. CRH, yeah. And what that does is it suppresses appetite? I mean, you're not mm-hmm. hungry.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then a few minutes later, a few um, hours later, your body begins to release glucocorticoids, right? His favorite mm-hmm. sort of supposed his favorite sort of thing, right? The thing he's obsessed yeah. with is glucocorticoids, mm-hmm. and these actually make you hungry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, what you see is uh, in prolonged stressors, when glucocorticoids are released that's when we begin to stress eat. And it's really sort of nuanced because the glucocorticoids also take a long time to clear out of your bloodstream.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas the CRH hormones, they, are, they clear out of your bloodstream relatively mm-hmm. quickly.
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: So the acute stressors come in, you secrete the CRH, your body stops getting hungry. And then when your body's done with that hormone, it clears it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think just like a practical application of this is like, I really see the CRH, uh, RC, <laughs> RHS okay, as um, this first line of defense that our body has for stress. So it's what's initially released out into the bloodstream. So um, even this morning, uh, we were like moving some stuff around on the counter and a bowl starts to like, le- like slide off. And my husband reaches out and grabs it probably since CRH, like pumped into the bloodstream, right. A little bit of stress to keep us from having to clean up a mess. Um, which I'm thankful for. Uh, but the body's like, all right, the stress is over. No need for glucocorticoids here. We're great. Right. As opposed to, Um, if I have an exam later that day that I'm nervous in leading up to, I'm nervous during the exam, I'm thinking about all the things that could go wrong after I take it. If I don't pass that's that sustained level of stress, the body says, oh, we need backup here. (laughs) You know, the CRH isn't going to cut it. Let's release the glucocorticoids because we need a sustained stress response here. Um, And so it's kind of this cascading effect. If there's a sustained need for energy and mobilization, here come the glucocorticoids to kind of keep that energy level up, right? Which exactly what you said, Dr. Harris, Um, the CRH suppresses appetite, which makes sense when things are immediately stressful in the moment. I'm not like dying for something to eat. I'm focused. I'm, I'm trying to get things done. I'm trying to knock them out. But if that stress is sustained over time, that's when those glucocorticoids kick in. Um, that's when they stay in the bloodstream for hours at a time to sustain um, that level of mobilization. That's where the hunger sets in.
0: Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, is not only do they, do the glucocorticoids uh, increase appetite, right? Stimulate appetite, but they also tend to make you want starchy, sugary, and, like, fatty food. <laughs> <laughs> <So it's... laughs> I'm
1: which, not, like, craving which... a head of broccoli. Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> which, I don't know if if you're like me, but it's, like, when you were, you know, doing comps, or you had some bit, big tests. The thing I wanted was, like, pretzels, right? Or, like, Skittles, oh. or, like, Cheez-Its. I didn't want, like, <laughs> Teddy grams. <laughs> Teddy grams <laughs> were, like, the best. You could just munch <laughs> on those for hours.
1: Amazing! Yeah. It's true. It's true. I think everyone identifies this. I'm not exactly reaching for my vegetable drawer <laughs> um, whenever stress is setting in. We we crave really specific things, and zapolsky hints at why that is. Right? Is because it is our, it's these things packed with sugar that can get our body glucose that can kind of produce this immediate energy result, um, as opposed to maybe the things that, that tend to be. Um, better nutrition for our bodies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, and
0: another thing he says is he talks about how intermittent stressors, right? If you have a series of Mm -hmm. like immediate stressors, they can sort of have this really, sort of like this, um, how would you say, a prolonged effect on the body, right? Mm -hmm. So he gives the example of somebody waking up late for work and they're stressed, And then they realize, wait, I have plenty of time. And then they, you know, get into the car and they can't find their keys. And they're like, and then they're super stressed. Then they find their keys, like, oh, it's going to be fine. And then they get on the highway and traffic is crazy. And then they somehow get there, but the boss hasn't, hasn't noticed. So they're like, okay, it's going to be fine. then the boss comes into their office and the boss says, hey, I'm sorry, but like, this is a problem. You were late again. And then they get stressed. And the whole time, you know, when you're, Acute stress response is getting constantly sort of primed.
1: I feel mine getting activated yeah, now. You can you're feel it, it.
0: <laughs> right? The same sort of thing mm-hmm. happens where all those glucocorticoids are released, and then you want those starchy, fatty, sugary foods. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly, and, and the point he makes there is okay, it's not necessarily like nonstop stress, right? The the intermittent aspect that he describes is basically saying okay, the blood uh, in the bloodstream, we find that CRH in those moments. Uh, but also it demands that release of glucocorticoids. By the time the next stressor comes, they haven't even left the system. And so the body has a consistent stress response, even though the those stressors are intermittent.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we get to, I think, Well, for some people, it's like the worst part of this, right? It's like the most unsettling part. (laughs) Because these glucocorticoids, they also change where you store fat in your body. (laughs) I can see your face. And so um, what Sposky talks about here is the idea of apples and pears, right? And uh, basically what happens is glucocorticoids disproportionately tell... The fat in your viscera around your stomach and your gut—that's where you need to store the fat. Mm-hmm. And so, what we often see when they do these studies is people who are um, more stressed, more stress eaters, return to food in moments of like distress because of the impacts of glucocorticoids. They tend to have more belly fat, mm-hmm. um, which. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the fact that your body is that specific, right? That (laughs) these hormones are saying, hey, this is where you need to keep it. Mm -hmm. I thought was, it's just such an intricate design. Like it's very intentional, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas people who, you know, they eat and they're maybe a little overweight but they're not doing it because of stress and, court, of course, aren't necessarily being dumped into their system. They're going to keep it more around their hips. And I just, I don't know, like the fact that our bodies are that—I don't know what the word is—fine-tuned or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. kind of blows my mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't feel good. It's like great <laughs> now. I know that they're <laughs> helping me identify my apple-shaped body. <laughs> Um, but it is, this is, and this is really what we're doing in this whole series is appreciating, right. The, the nuances that our bodies have to get us what they need and to keep us safe. Right. And our bodies storing the fat there is because it's like, okay, this is the most efficient way to store it and to where you might need it. And I want to do what's best for you. And I, when I look at myself in the mirror, maybe that doesn't feel um, like I want to honor that function that my body has. But I think really understanding that helps us understand what our bodies are trying to do, um, the ways that they're trying to equip us um, and that we can honor that function, um, though we've been told not to by culture and um, every magazine and every like, form of media there is. Uh, that that really is a, a function to be honored as our body tries to equip us for what we need.
0: Yeah, I love that, right? I mean, because part of what happens is that's the 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 area around your stomach, what he calls the viscera, like mm-hmm. that's the most responsive to these glucocorticoids. So your body's essentially saying, I'm going to store this energy. That's what fat is. I'm going to store this energy in the place where it's easiest to get it, because I know that you're stressed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and that makes sense to me, right? Like every night, I go through and I put my kids' breakfast out on the counter, so then in the morning it's easy for us all to get. Right? Like that's <laughs> a way of me trying to take care of my family, mm-hmm. and I think it's the same way with with our bodies. Let me put this where it's easiest for us to get, so that when we need it, obviously you're stressed, you can have it.
1: Mm-hmm. The difficult part right in that is again, the stressors we're experiencing now, um, our body equips us for those physical stressors where we're gonna need to metabolize a lot of energy.
0: Um,
1: And that's kind of the difficulty now. That's why it's so hard to honor that function that our body has is it's like, no, 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 this is not the way I need to be equipped. (laughs) Um, And and so that can be confusing, um, but I think really slowing that down, understanding the the body's original intent in that is really important. Um, just to see that in a, in a different way. I love that example. I think that's yeah. perfect. Everyone would say, "Well, what a good dad you are to be so prepared to make sure it's easy going in the morning." That's thoughtful. That's intentional. That's caring. It's a lot easier to say that um, in that example than sometimes it is for our own body. Right,
0: right. Well, I think you hit on part of the problem right is like our culture sign that says no yeah sometimes we're getting messages that like okay yeah you mean putting food on the counter is a bad thing that's like <laughs> that's what your body your body is designed to keep you safe and protect you to give you what you need
1: mm-hmm. so
0: yeah it's actually a good thing <laughs>
1: yeah
0: um and i love how Sposky sort of ends this this section i'm talking about oreos which you know some of my favorite <laughs> sugary foods <laughs> they're so good
1: absolutely
0: but you know he talks about hey actually because you get what your body's saying that it needs mm-hmm. and because those foods tend to turn off the sympathetic nervous system like it actually does feel good to eat these things
1: it works it works <laughs> it actually works there's a reason that your body keeps doing it it actually does it make it feel better makes in the feel short better. term yeah
0: yeah 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 so and i (laughs) yeah so yeah that was just a great part of the book um and so then he moves let's talk about ulcers Uh, can we talk about ulcers
1: again why i went into the (laughs) field i (laughs) love let's talk ulcers yes
0: let's talk ulcers so this is one of my favorite stories actually there's like three stories that I would tell my children at, at night if, if, if they would listen to these sort of stories. <laughs> and this is one of them, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it shows not just how our bodies work, but also mm-hmm. how science works. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to something that you've talked about a, a lot of times. So basically, what Sposky says is, you know, he gives us an overview of different ulcers, right? We have peptic ulcers, which are ulcers that are um, starting in the stomach and go out to sort of adjacent organs we have gastric ulcers gastric ulcers ulcers which are in the stomach mm-hmm. we have uh, esophageal ulcers who, which are higher up uh in the stomach maybe kind of touching the esophagus and then we have uh duodenal ulcers which are in the low inte- which are in the intestine and in the in the low stomach and these are the most common and um he says you know back in the day right um Everyone knew, quote unquote, the ulcers were caused by stress. Everyone knew this. It wasn't a question, it was scientific fact until two researchers came along, um, one named Robert Warren and Barry Marshall, and they said, "Mm, maybe not. Maybe there's a bacteria that like, you know, is causing ulcers. Um, And of course they get laughed out of every medical conference, right? It was so bad that apparently I think it was Marshall ingested some of these bacteria to prove to everybody (laughs) that like, hey, no, it's actually this bacteria that we have in our in our stomachs that's causing this.
1: I can't imagine that level of commitment. (laughs) I can't imagine the level of
0: regret instantly. (laughs) Like like in my mind, he's like, I'm going to show all of you. And he takes it. And then two hours later, stomach is killing him. And he's like, why did I do this? <laughs> <Why> did- <laughs> but
1: even then, right? Nobody believed him. and yeah, he-, <laughs> he develops and contracts his own ulcers, still, that didn't make an impact.
0: Yeah, people that are like, bro, you're probably just playing this up right now. Stop with reacting, right?
1: <laughs> um, you gave yourself an ulcer with your quest to prove this. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> you're way too high-strung. That's what's giving you the ulcer, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So in order to shut up, uh, Warren and Marshall, people began to to do their own studies. And they discovered, lo and behold, 90% of people with these ulcers, with these uh, duodenal ulcers had this bacteria in their their stomachs. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, you know, that was it, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone changed their minds. (laughs) Um, All the medical conferences said, clearly now we know the truth, yada, yada, yada. But that wasn't the whole story.
1: Hmm.
0: Because then they began to do more studies and they realized, wait, even though a lot of people who have these ulcers um, have this bacteria, well, 15% of people who have these duodenal ulcers don't have this bacteria called a a helicobacteria. They Hmm. They don't have it. And then actually, numbers aren't quite 90% right it's like uh, only 10% of people with the bacteria get ulcers Mm. and this goes to what you have said so many times right of on the one hand we want to convey an accurate picture and an understandable picture of how the body works Mm. and on the other hand when we get into this we don't want to oversimplify it Mm. and that's why I love the story, because this whole story is a story of the medical profession, pendulum swinging from it's all about stress to it's not, all, it's not at all about stress. And then in the end, what they realize is, wait, you kind of have to, the majority of people who get these ulcers, I guess I should re- rephrase that. Many of the people who get these ulcers have these bacteria in their stomachs, mm-hmm. and there are also lifestyle factors that play into this, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have this bacteria and you've been drinking um, the alcohol,
1: mm-hmm.
0: increase the chances that you'll get the ulcer, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you're stressed, it actually does increase the fact that the potential of you um, having these ulcers, right? Mm-hmm. If you also have the bacteria and mm-hmm. then sometimes the stress plus bacteria doesn't give you the ulcer, but the stress means you begin drinking, which gave you the ulcer. And so it's such a nuanced sort of picture when you get down into the weeds
1: right. of it. Right. And it really is that stress primes the conditions, right, that make ulcers more likely. So I'm not, because I've experienced something stressful, there's not 100% I'm going to develop an ulcer, right? But my body's conditions are a lot more primed for that to happen. Um, and, and so kind of understanding that nuance there, just like you said, helps us appreciate the complexity and all the factors that take place um, in order to kind of understand the, the relationship that this has.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think you're so spot on with that which I think is the beauty of polyphatal theory, right? Mm-hmm. So often, Porter talks about how we have this sort of um, silver bullet sort of mindset. Mm-hmm. And what we're really trying to help people to understand, and I think living to ourselves is, how our body, the state our body is in primes us for different responses. Mm-hmm. Some of those are behavioral, some of those are physical. But either way, the state our body is in us for different responses. And it's like, oh, okay. mm-hmm. So let's take a holistic look at this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: it, it, oh, I was going to say, it, it does make me think, especially as a clinician, and I'm sure that you've seen this too, um, of how often I, in kind of taking an intake with clients, will find out that ulcers have been a part of their medical history. Um, and maybe even an ongoing part. Um, and, and there is still so much distinction. I think maybe at, in my frame of reference, it's like, oh, it's common knowledge, right? The link between stress and ulcers, right? And that one can predate the other, one sets the conditions for the other. Um, but I don't think that it's as common knowledge um, as we think, um, as clinicians, we, we get exposed to these different things because I've had clients say like, oh, that's like I have a family history of it. Um, this is just kind of genetically passed on. My kids will probably have it. And it is kind of this slowing down of, OK, I don't disagree that it's been passed on through the family. Right. But maybe also that there's been some coping strategies right? Or some shared life experiences where stress has been a part of that, that have united us as a family and not just the biological factors taking place there.
0: I absolutely agree. And I think in a meta way, that's sort of like my big takeaway from this chapter, which we're going to get into later. And I think it takes us to this this next section on the bowels and irritable Mm -hmm. bowel and Mm -hmm the impact, like true, the true impact that stress has on our physiology, whether it's Mm -hmm. ulcers or or irritable bowel or Mm -hmm. some of the other stuff we'll talk about in this chapter, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, yeah, this stuff is passed on in families. And I think for people like me and you, while we wouldn't deny that there's a genetic component, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we push back against that being held too tightly Mm -hmm. because we hold hope for for people
1: right absolutely but this isn't just my fate because it's been passed on
0: right right
1: yeah
0: so let's talk about the bowels Um, please. and there's two big parts of two big parts of this again the reason we all got into counseling is to talk about bowels and irritable 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 bowel syndrome and you know diarrhea (laughs) that's basically (laughs) why we got into this field right
1: that's right
0: <laughs> but one of the things he talks about which i had never heard in my grad program um was that how oftentimes when we are in terror and he uses that the word we will defecate and that's often like diarrhea it's not hard stool mm-hmm. and basically what's what's happening is because the function of our um intestines is to pull water from our stool right Mm -hmm. when we're stressed our body says let's get this out Mm -hmm. let's not go through the full process and so because we're sort of shutting down non-essential stuff we want this stuff out of here let's push it on through so -hmm. instead of taking the time to pull the water out it just sort of empties the tank Mm -hmm. and for me this is really interesting because then when I met with certain trauma populations, especially women who've been sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. they had no idea why they had at times like defecated themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh no, this is a normal thing your body does because mm-hmm. it's trying to shut off non-es- non-essential things. So it can really help you in these moments.
1: Yeah, Which is and, hard to believe, right? Which it, is so shameful. It's so like it's another part of this where I feel like I don't know my body. I don't have control over my body. It can be another factor um, that feels so disorienting to an event that's already traumatizing. It can feel like my I, ha- I just have no control here um, and can be a very disorienting part of even my most basic things that I typically have control over at loss. Um, it can feel like a regression in those moments rather than just like you're saying, then this way that your body is trying to keep you safe. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's exactly it.
1: Mm-hmm. And, I think- and, and yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: You go, you go.
1: <laughs> well, and I think... Wanting to make that like safety part explicit, right? Because again, if the body's registering a threat, it really prioritizes this as a physical threat. And so the safety kind of link there is I'm trying to drop this extra weight. This isn't necessary. We're not getting anything out of this. We're gonna be so much more efficient and more mobilized if we're able to lose um, these ounces here. So let's prioritize that. Um, and so that's what we're meaning there when we say safety yeah. um, is to kind of drop what's not needed immediately so that we can really prioritize and be more mobile with what is necessary.
0: Exactly. So I mean, I think about it, like if you were being attacked, you dropped your book bag or your purse or whatever, right? Your mm-hmm. groceries. Yeah. Like, that's a good thing. Yeah. Body saying, get me out of here. I don't need these things right now actually i function i can get away faster i can defend myself if, if i'm if i'm not holding this yeah. let's drop it and get out of here let's drop yeah. it and put up my fist let's drop it and do whatever I need to, do to get to the to the to get to tomorrow
1: yeah if i'm taking out my trash and i get attacked how crazy would it be for me to be like I've got to take this trash with me as I run and I like put it under my arm and like treat it like a baby. It's like, oh, well, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. Right. And that's the same thing our is doing here. Right. Drop what's it's not even valuable anymore. <laughs> Get it out so you can prioritize what is necessary. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, and then he also talks about
0: GI disorders, functional GI dis- disorders. And this is a term I had heard of, but the functional part is something that I'm just learning about, right? Mm-hmm. And so functional in the, in, the metal world, in the medical world is a term that they use basically to say that there's a strong connection between your uh, mental health and your physical health. So you have functional neurological disorders right people who have um unexplained maybe dizziness or headaches or something and they can't find a physical cause for it but they know that you're actually suffering Mm -hmm. so they say it's a functional neurological disorder
1: and also kind of eliminates this isn't structural right isn't because something's missing it's not because there's a hole here it's not because so functional it's like okay this isn't working properly we may not understand how but it's also eliminating
0: this isn't a structural issue. Exactly. And so in this chapter, he talks about functional GI disorders, right? When they go in and they look at your GI tract, everything's in place. All the parts are there. There's no holes. There's no sort of abrasions. There's no sort of obvious infection. And we know that you are really suffering. And the most common of these is irritable bowel syndrome. Um, which is kind of weird, right? Because irritable bowel can lead to diarrhea or constipation or bloating or abnormal distension or passes of mucus. Like it's a bunch, it's almost like it's a, it's a catch all term for a lot of different things that your, your uh, bowels go through that are really uncomfortable and really painful. Um, and basically, what Sapolsky says is we know that chronic stress exacerbates these problems. And for some people, chronic stress uh, is a precursor to these sorts of problems. Um, And I read this chapter, and I thought about a client that I had uh, years ago, who, over the course of about four weeks, I saw her one week, and I saw her the next week, and I was like, I didn't know she was pregnant. And we started talking and I was like, What's going on? She's like, Oh no, I have irritable bowel. And I swear, I think it was over the course of four weeks, her distention in her in her abdomen, it looked like and it happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so for me, reading through the chapter, I thought back to my client, I thought, oh this lady had been through so much trauma she had moved into a place that was also highly, um, contentious. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was a coincidence that when she made that move and started seeing me at the same time, Mm -hmm. that her stomach began to do this thing, right? That her abdomen began to, to sort of extend in this way, to distend in this way. And I was like, oh, that's an example of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure you've had any number of clients who've come in with irritable bowel syndrome.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: You know, it's like, yeah, to me, that was just kind of a, uh, I don't know, a very obvious example of Mm -hmm. how stress impacts our bowels.
1: Yeah, and especially kind of the way that Zapolsky breaks it down of understanding, okay, when there's stress perceived by the body. It's like this red alert, right, goes off across the whole body. And what it does specifically to digestion is say, slow your roll, all the blood, not all of it, but most of it flows away from that GI tract so that it's not able to get movement. Everything kind of comes to a halt in digestion, right, which is a big deal with how much energy your body typically expends there. And it can stay halted as long as that stress is present, right? But then add on top of that, if it's intermittent, I'm while the CRH is no longer in my bloodstream, then I'm hungry and I'm eating more to replenish. But I'm stressed again, so my digestive tract slows. Just you can see how easy it would be, right, for there to be so many issues as you're constantly getting this red light, green light, flush the uh, like excess that's not needed anymore. And it's really going through a lot um, in response to that stress. So it makes sense, right? That there's that level um, of dysfunction in the way that it can process foods, um, in the way that it can digest and the ways that it can pick that up again. Um, because it is an incredibly expensive process yeah. for your body to go through. And so to start and stop it so frequently is it's really devastating. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and then the last thing in this sort of section talks about is how stress also impacts our body's feelings right? As in the sensations. And so on the one hand, it blunts tactile, or I'm sorry, cutaneous pain and, and sensations. So we don't, we're not as aware of the things that touch our skin. But then it increases our sense of our internal organs, right? So for me, this is like when I'm outside playing with my kid, and I I don't know, stub my toe, or scratch my um, knee, I don't even notice until we're back in the house, right? Mm-hmm. I'm mobilized, I'm running around my body, stress response is activated, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not feeling as intensely like what's coming on on my, on my skin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that does at the same time, then like what happens inside my body, sometimes I can be hyper aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is what Porter talks about when he talks about chronic pain for lots of people, right? And sort of medically unexplained illnesses and so I wanted to ask you have you talked about this book hidden from view
1: I've heard of it but I've never read it
0: it's a really interesting book so it's by Alan Abbas and Howard Schubiner who are both physicians Mm. Um, Howard's done a lot with uh, CBT and medically unexplained illnesses psychosomatic Mm. issues and Alan Abbas. He's uh, a main proponent of a model called ISTDP, mm-hmm. uh, intensive uh, short-term dynamic psychotherapy, and they wrote a book for a clinic for physicians called Hidden mm-hmm. from View, mm-hmm. and basically it says, "Hey, we know that thirty to forty percent of people who come into your office have a medically unexplained illness, mm-hmm. and for many of them, the way to really help them." is to ask about like what's going on emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a whole way of handling and dealing with this, but basically he says mm-hmm. a lot of times our bodies store um, stress, energy, trauma in our viscera and in mm-hmm. other medically unexplained illnesses. And so those illnesses are actually um, our body's way of handling these things. And So if you really want to help these people, we have to um, help them work through their unresolved issues or help maybe refer them to counseling or if you've been trained in some of this stuff, like maybe you can do it yourself. Um, And the reason I wanted to talk about this book here was twofold. Um, A year ago, I would have been like, that's just baloney. What's all this hogwash? I don't have a headache because I'm stressed. You know, I don't have chronic fatigue because I'm stressed. I don't have irritable bowel because I'm stressed. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in not jumping to that immediately, right? Taking it with a, with a grain of salt. The other side of that is, is that when you see how many people are really struggling with medically unexplained illnesses, with pain in their viscera, pain in their organs, with pain and irritable bowel stuff Mm -hmm. and you read some of their research um, I think it's important to to consider this if we really want to want to help them
1: yeah absolutely
0: and so I think that's why this is really important so I would recommend Mm -hmm. people pick it up Mm -hmm. and I think you probably do better a better job of this than I do but This has helped me to keep an ear out for when people are talking about, yeah, I just feel really uh, lethargic, I have chronic fatigue, or yeah, I have irritable bowel syndrome, or yeah, I have, you know, ulcers, and it's like, oh, okay, if you're sitting in my office and you're saying that, part of what your body is saying is, I'm really struggling. Mm
1: Absolutely. And, and I think part of you is right, though, in that, right? I don't have this headache just because one bad thing happened, right? I don't have an ulcer just because one meeting didn't go well at work. It is, uh, Zapolsky's point here is, no, it's because there's a sustained stress response and your body is not meant to live in that activation for such a long amount of time right, and if we can't find ways to alleviate that stress in between stressors, that leaves you at a really elevated state, um, which doesn't necessarily directly cause those things, but it kind of primes the body for these conditions to set in because your body isn't able to function in the way that it's meant to when it's prioritizing that elevated stress response.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing that he would say, that Alan Adams would say, and I think Sapolsky would also say this, is I think um, after you do have one of these sort of experiences, right, where there's ulcers or some other sort of thing, your body has in some sense learned mm-hmm. how to respond to stress in this way. And so then you also have like a, uh, a, vulner- uh, a pre-existing vulnerability, distress coming out in this in this way and i I think for me that's definitely the part that i believe and and hold on to right of like yeah once you begin to have ulcers it's probably easier for your body to have ulcers and if you have irritable bowel it's probably easier for your body to you know have irritable bowel issues later on Mm -hmm. and so because we know these things are so um connected to, to stress it's like once you have it it's probably a good signal that hey it's time for me to check in with myself so yeah i recommend people to pick up the book and um i think we need more of this sort of work um more more people who are willing to ask these questions that people like me think are bizarre but ultimately <laughs> help help lots of people mm-hmm. so i had head-
1: come out with a book list yeah, if jordan <laughs> starts a book list i am so on it
0: <laughs> definitely read alan Abbott's work he's fascinating and he's got tons of outcome studies i think that's the other thing about him mm-hmm. that really sort of changed my mm-hmm. thoughts on this
1: mm-hmm.
0: i mean basically he was a physician in canada who really wanted to help his clients mm-hmm. his, his patients and there was a ton of them that he couldn't help So he went on this journey of how do i help these people uh Mm -hmm. stumbled into the therapy world and started treating people which he can do because he's a physician Mm -hmm. for his medically unexplained issues with psychotherapy Mm -hmm. and he publishes his outcomes right and he publishes you know very i was impressed with the detail of his research he publishes Mm -hmm. how many of them go off medication how many of them have reduction in medication mm. how many of them their symptoms reduce so that they can go back to work I mean he's 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 really I think doing the world a service here so
1: mm. yeah awesome.
0: so I had a question for you Julia hit
1: me
0: this is um such a big part of polyvagal theory right one of the, mm-hmm. the big things that I'm gonna and I'm gonna botch this so you can clean up my mess one of the big things that political theory says is that there are tons of connections mm-hmm. that the vagus nerves makes in to our viscera right mm-hmm. the organs below our diaphragm mm-hmm. and actually most of the connection from our viscera is from our from our organs to our brain
1: mm-hmm.
0: and when we are very 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 stressed when we're feeling like we, we are uh, in life threat situations. Mm -hmm. That's when these organs um, shut down. Mm -hmm. And I guess I wanted you to speak to that a little bit. Like how does polyvagal Mm -hmm. theory play into these subdiaphragmatic organs and what Mm -hmm. do we know about that that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, and and so what polyvagal theory says is basically there's the nerve of the vagus, the vagus nerve, runs from our brain right all the way down through our our body through our torso and into our gut and so all of that is linked by the vagus nerve it's called the gut brain access um, because it takes a lot of its cues it's kind of communicating um, like the body the gut will communicate hey things are not okay down here and let the brain know and vice versa right that it it's this access that kind of initially cues the system to shut down because blood is needed elsewhere because resources are needed elsewhere. And so these are very much linked. However, um, the nerves that are in the gut um, are are of the uh, dorsal vagal branch, which is in charge of that freeze response. And so this is why when we hear most people kind of recall kind of their core trauma or kind of core fears, they'll talk about like this pit in my stomach. They'll talk about um, just feeling it down there, where if I'm talking about something more cognitively, that's kind of up in my head. But when I really get down to this core place, that's at the core of who I am and the core of the fear, right, that might shut me down. That's why we talk about the pit of the stomach in those moments. And so the vagus nerve mediates that communication between the gut and the brain. Um, And there is research that shows, um, you know, the vagus nerve kind of is suppressed, right? During moments of stress, like we've talked about before, um, that it's just not seen as essential um, to mobilizing the body. But looking for ways to activate that vagus nerve, actually look to restore that homeostasis um, within the gut brain access or axis. Um, and so basically what that means, we've talked all day about the, the gut's response to stress, right? And the reality is that is coming. You will be stressed, right? You you will have the CRH pumped out into your bloodstream because stress is going to happen, right? There will be this sustained response with glucocorticoids. The question is, can you give your body a break from that stress response, right? And can you look for ways to help it deactivate after stress comes? There's no way to avoid being stressed. That's out of the question. Life is what it is. Um, but what polyvagal research does suggest is can we activate that vagus nerve um, in a way that re regulates uh, the body and that gut brain response so that it doesn't have to have this prolonged stress response that we see being so devastating to the body? Um, the research suggests that even things like touch, um, like soft vocal tones, um, that even think like the things that are comforting to us, just like Oreos work, these work too, um, that they are harder because we need other people to access them oftentimes to activate that vagus nerve, um, to, to turn on that social engagement system. But that also is seen as having a regulating effect on that gut brain access.
0: Yeah. You know, I think the stuff that I've read, says, uh, you know resonance frequency breathing right last week or two mm-hmm. weeks ago we talked about um the importance of heart rate vari- variability mm-hmm. and how breathing at your resonance frequency increases your heart rate vari- variability um, like even that has been shown really eff- effective at decreasing irritable bowel issues
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so i think that's something that was really interesting to read in the book because Sapolsky sort of chalks us up to the sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so sort of what we're saying is, well, the update to this is looking at the dorsal vagal, Mm -hmm. right? Saying, hey, there's actually a lot that happens here with the um, parasympathetic nervous system, especially Mm -hmm. the dorsal vagal branch, right? Mm -hmm. The freeze branch Mm -hmm. that impacts our body's sense of wellness.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and so if we can look to stimulate that social engagement system that has a regulating effect on the other two um not that we're looking to suppress them but when they're no longer necessary um, i'm able to reach out and kind of get that regulation that's needed
0: yeah all right dr conroy what's your takeaway from today what's sort of Mm your
1: your big thought? my gosh, where do I start? <laughs> I I didn't know much about the GI tract before this. So I had a lot of room for growth here. Um, But I do, I think the part that I think was more clear for me today than it has been, though we've been kind of alluding to this at other times, is understanding the connection. There's a reason why some people respond this way and some people don't. Some people experience all types of stress, but don't experience an ulcer, right? That it's not just A plus B equals C, but it really is that stress has such a devastating effect on the body over time that it wears away a lot of the protective functions that our body has to keep us safe or causes us to misuse those protective functions. And so it's not necessarily this like direct cause and effect, but it's because my body's taking. Such good care of me and, and trying to prioritize what's most needed um, that it has this effect over time. And I think that that's just a helpful reminder for me to honor the function that my body has instead of feeling like I'm fighting against it.
0: Yeah. I love that. Let's honor the function our bodies have instead of fighting against it. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Um, I think for me, the big takeaway is how to think about some of these psychosomatic issues, some of these issues of medically unexplained issues, some of these um, stress-induced or stress-caused or stress-exacerbated sort of illnesses, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Sapolsky does a good job here in this chapter of talking about that, right? He says, okay, so it's actually a bad question to ask like does stress cause this disease and better questions are does stress make this disease worse
1: Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm.
0: do patterns of symptoms and stress sort of fluctuate in parallel over time
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, is there a subset of people who um, have all of these things and we know that for them this is caused by stress Mm -hmm. and I think for me, these questions were very organizing because like I've said before, a year ago, I would have been like, that's just baloney. And I think a more um, enlightened way to think is to ask some of these questions of, okay, in what ways, in what ways Mm -hmm. does this really impact us? Because that allows us to help more people, the people who come Mm -hmm. into our offices and are really struggling. So, Mm -hmm. all right, Dr. Conroy, I'll see you next week
1: all right sounds good thanks for having me
0: hey before you go a few reminders since you finished this podcast you might as well earn ce's for listening check out the description to find out how you can listen and earn ce's also if you enjoyed this podcast if you learned something please please share this with a friend or leave us a review in itunes that would help us out a lot All right, see you next week.